Amen to that. Wish I could sing like that. And you wish you could sing like that too. (laughs) Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much that if we're your children, you are interested in molding us and changing us and coloring us, making us like you, Lord. And we just pray that that's our will, that we would allow you to do that, that we would allow you to have your way today, that words that are spoken today, Lord, are your words, and that hearts are sensitive to whatever you have to say to each one of us, Lord. And I pray that your will would be done. And that your name would be proclaimed. And that you would be glorified through this message in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, our brother um, Jeffrey said that this evening, I think he said, instead of this afternoon. And I just want you to know that it's going to be a long preach. So <laughs> you better get ready. Eight oh will hurt me for that, so So I wouldn't. But, you know, I want to read something because I was um, really blessed in the breaking of bread so much. And one of the songs that Adol mentioned inspired me and encouraged me. Um, Don't open your book, but I'm going to read a couple verses. And this is for us as believers to understand why I think this message should really hit us a little hard today and be a blessing to us. Uh, This song opens up and says, Our Christ, what burdens bowed thy head, our load was laid on thee. Thou stoodest in the sinner's stead to bear all ill for me. A victim led, thy blood was shed, now there's no load for me. And the last Verse says, for me, Lord Jesus, thou hast died. For me, Lord Jesus, thou hast died. And I have died in thee. Thou hast risen. My bands are all untied. And thou livest in me. The Father's face of radiant grace shines now in light on me. What a God we have that said, I will take your load. I will take your burden. I will take your pain. I will take your, your sorrow, your hopelessness, and I'll lay it on me so that you can have life. And the other verse that Adel read, and this wasn't the message, but just, just I want to read just a verse. It just for if we were God's enemies, if when we were God's enemies, We were his enemies, but now we're his friends and his children, those that have claimed him as Lord and Savior, those that love him like we do. And I just wanted to just read that because I'm no longer an enemy of the king. Are you an enemy still of the king? And I pray that you're not. I pray honestly that you're not. We've had a lot of verses, a lot of sharing in the last few weeks, and they've been very encouraging. Mike's gave a nice message, a beautiful message on faith. Bill's message on Wednesday was beautiful about, in Acts, about how Peter was in chains and the apostles and his friends, 
They were praying for him. And then all of a sudden, Peter is released because of the miracle of God. And he walks and knocks on the door and they are amazed. Because they had no faith, maybe. They're praying for his freedom, but they didn't expect to see him. And then Sylvia, wonderful, wonderful, like Dean says, Thursday night's a blessing for us as men that we get to hang out with the women and listen to these wonderful, just wonderful messages. And hers was on levels of faith, effective, ineffective faith, sinking faith, failing faith, little faith, and of course, no faith at all. I was blessed by that. I was encouraged by that. And this, this message is really how the Lord matures our faith. Because he's interested in maturing our faith, developing our faith, strengthening our faith, changing our faith, up building our faith, making us strong in our faith. Because then we can be used by him in a wonderful way. Question is, do we have faith today? How much faith do we have? And where is our faith today? And more importantly, some may ask, where's God today? Because he's the author of our faith. Right? Where's he today? What's he doing? With everything going wrong in the world, that's a question of the day. And it should ring out. And it's ringing out. Please believe me. It's ringing out in the world today. Where is God today? And we can say, some of us, especially recently, we might have asked that question. Where is God today? Lord, where are you? I'm, I'm, I'm sinking. Where are you? I'm struggling. Where are you? I don't feel good, Lord. Where are you? And the world that doesn't know him, they ask where he is, too, because they don't understand how things could be going on. I saw an article. I guess the Pope was in New York, and they brought up the issue again. His pilgrimage to the site of the World Trade Center revived the question that was asked by many that were traumatized through this terrorist attack. Where was God on September 11th? And I read the article and I was just touched because it's a good question that people can ask and we need to have the answer. And since many of those lives were chained, changed on that day and many of them came to terms with their spirituality. Question many have asked is why would God allow such an atrocity, especially in God's name? Didn't religion drive out, drive the hack, the, the hijacked jets into the tower? Some people ask that. Didn't religion or didn't God drive the hijacked jets, jets into the towers? Or why did He allow it? One person said, and her name was Marion. She said uh, Marianne or something. She said she saw the two towers collapse. My first impulse was to drop to my knees and pray. Her husband, Dave, was a firefighter. He rushed into the tower, the lower Manhattan Tower, even though he was supposed to have had the day off to celebrate their eighth wedding anniversary. She knelt before the TV in her living room and said the Lord's Prayer and tried to bargain with God for Dave's life, offering she would recall pacts, treaties, promises, and vows. In the days that followed, with Dave missing, Marion walked around her Brooklyn neighborhood, going to church, from church to church, 
regardless of the denomination, begging God to return Dave to her and their five-year-old son. When she realized her husband was dead, Marianne Fontana stopped talking to God. By the time of his funeral, she writes in her memoir, she wrote a book called A Widow's Walk. She still wants to believe in God, but something has shifted. And even my limited spirituality seems to have been squashed among the debris. She describes her feeling like a spurned friend, her relationship with God, another casualty of 9-11. How about you today? Many people, their faith has been shattered today because they wonder, with everything going wrong, where is God today? Let's open up the Bible. Because if you want to know where God is, I think we should start with the scriptures and go to Habakkuk. I'm going to read a few verses because we, we need to move rather quickly, starting in Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a great prophet, but he offered a, in verse 1, it says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. Some versions say the burden. And he had a complaint. He had a question. He actually asked, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong, destruction, and violence that is before me? There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. We're not the first to ask that question. He asked the question, how long, Lord, where are you? What is going on? The Lord's answer in verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if it were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who swept, who sweeps across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. Now, you think about this. Now, I, I was reading this, and I didn't get that at first. I didn't get that. He's saying, God, we are in trouble. We're in big trouble. The people are not living lives that they should be living, but where are you? We need you right now. We need your help. We need your encouragement. We need your direction. It's like, why do you make this happen? What are you doing? And God's answer to him was, I want to tell you something that you're not even going to believe. I want to tell you something. And if you kind of read through the lines there and really look at that passage, that portion, it says it's going to get worse. He didn't say to him, I'm going to do this for you. No. He says, you're going to be utterly amazed. I'm getting ready to do something else. I'm going to raise up a people who are going to actually attack you, and things are going to get worse. And then Habakkuk's second complaint in verse 12 says, O oh Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O oh Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. 
O rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than them? Wow. He's complaining still. But I complain still at times. Lord, why? I don't get it. I can't see it. I don't understand. What are you doing? Why are you letting this happen? What's the deal? I can't understand what's going on. Is anybody here there? Or have you been there? Why? Now, verse Chapter 2 is kind of interesting. Because if you read chapter 2, the first verse, it's kind of really amazing. Because it was an evolution of this man's faith. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But that verse, verse, verse 1 says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me to, and what answer I will give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it for the revelation awaits a point of time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It certainly will come and will not delay. First point. Lord, can't you see what's happening and don't you care? And we see Habakkuk asked the question real simply. How long must I call for help, but you do not listen? And David was the same. It's not like this is news. This is not news. In the past, men questioned God. And David writes in the Psalms 35, Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue my soul from the ravages my only life from the lions. And another psalmist write in 82, it says, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Psalm 89, How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? How long, Lord? What's the deal? What's going on? And Habakkuk was honest. He was honest. And he penned those words because he didn't pen only the, the glorious words. He didn't pen only the words of when he evolved to faith, great faith. He didn't pen just that. He penned the beginning, which we are in the beginning when we are new Christians. And some of us stay there for a long time questioning God. Why, God, did you do this? Why are you doing this? How long am I going to go through this situation? What's the deal, God? Can't you see? Don't you see what's going on? And Hudson Taylor writes, during an especially trying time in the work of China in the inland of the mission, it says Hudson Taylor wrote to his wife, and he says, we have 25 cents. I have 25 cents and all the promises of God. He said, that's all I got left. Honey, I'm on the battlefield. 
for my Jesus. And all is falling apart. And I have a quarter. I have a quarter. And all of the promises of God. Wow. What faith. Are we satisfied with how the Lord is running our lives today? Or are we looking for another place, another person, another thing to place our faith? Because he hasn't come through like we intended him to. And Sylvia read the story, and I read it last night, and I said, I'm going to quote it too, because I love my mama. And it's a great story. You ladies, on Thursday, you read it, but everybody else is going to hear it today, and some of you men were blessed. It's called The Cliff. It said, a man fell off a cliff but managed to grab a tree limb on the way down. And then the following conversation ensued. He had a conversation then. Is anyone up there? I'm here. I'm the Lord. Do you believe me? Wow, great God. Immediately. I'm here. I'm ready. Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe. I really believe. But I can't hang on much longer. It's getting really hard to hang on. These little hands can't handle it. He said, that's all right. If you really believe, you have nothing to worry about. I will save you. Just let go of the branch. Just let go. And then there was a moment of pause. And then he said, is there anyone else up there? (laughs) I thought, is it because you can't do it? I don't really have the faith that I need to have. I have just enough faith to ask you when I know I got the answer already wrapped up. You gave me a present and you said it was good. But I said, no, I want to see what's inside of it before I admit that it's good. I want to see the end first. I want to see the outcome first. Then I'll believe. I want to see your hands. Then I'll believe. And Habakkuk went on and he was really just struggling because he didn't just ask how long. He said, why? Why? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Why? What is wrong with you? What kind of God are you? And numbers, it says the same thing. It wasn't... I am no different than Habakkuk, and none of us are. I have asked why and how long before, and it's, it's, it's a sad thing to ask how long when we talked about who this God that we love and share and rep- represent, what he's done for us. But sometimes we get to that point where we say, Lord, how, how long? Why? And in Numbers, they ask too. He said, why is the Lord bringing us into this land? The Israelites, why are you bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? They asked why. Moses returned to the Lord and says, oh, Lord, why have you brought harm on these people? Why did you ever send me? Why did you send me? Who are you? You made a mistake. Because I'm not qualified. Are we asking how long today? 
How long am I going to go through this trial, Lord? How long are you going to put me through this agony? And why, Lord? Why are you allowing all these things to happen to me? Don't you see? Don't you see that I, I'm a good guy? I'm a good lady. I don't deserve that. But let me whisper to you, Lord, I know somebody that does deserve it. There's somebody in the church and I, I, they deserve this, not me. Look at what they're doing. Can't you see what's happening? And I read a story about the trial, the school of affliction. It says we learn lessons in school of affliction, in the school of affliction, which we could never learn anywhere else. Somehow in the loneliness of the shadow and the isolation of sorrow, God finds a way to teach us many things which we seem unable to learn any other way. Oh, isn't that sad to know, isn't it? A story is told of a little bird that was never able to learn the song her master was so anxious to have him sing. While his cage was full of light, there was too much to attract his attention. There were so many voices to, be, to which he listened. He would learn to snatch a portion of one song and a note from another and a note from another and have a mixture of all the songs in the groove, but never a separate and entire one to own. The master at last covered his cage and the little bird was surrounded by darkness In this loneliness and darkness, the little bird could listen attentively to one song that the master was trying to teach him to sing. Then when the cage was uncovered, he continued to sing it beautifully to the joy of the master's heart and to the entertainment of all who heard. He learned the one song, but only in the darkness. Why? Because when it was light and everything was easy, he was picking up all these other songs. He was grabbing a note here and grabbing a note here and grabbing a note here. So this is cool. I can do this. I can do that. Everything's okay. And he was singing basically a conglomerate of nothing. Nothing. And that's what our life is without the trials. It becomes nothing. Billy Graham comments that nowhere in the Bible does it teach that Christians are exempt from tribulations. Nowhere in the Bible. So sometimes God permits us to suffer to teach us that pain is part of life. Nowhere does the Bible say that Christians will not suffer adversity. Christ did not evade the cross to escape suffering. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Why? For the joy that was set before him. And where is the joy that was set before him? Well, if he's here, which we know he's here, we are the joy that was set before him. He said, I did it for you. I paid the price for you. I took the cross and went to the cross for you. And then the Lord's answer, which we reread about, And I want to mention it one more time just because I want you to think about it. Because the Lord's answer to this man was, I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I'm going to raise up 
an enemy to come in and, and do something even more drastic than you're experiencing. What does that mean to you? What that means to me is what if God just turned the fire up a little bit? I mean, no matter what we're going through today, what if he said, I'm, he told us he was going to do it. You think you're experiencing something bad now. You don't know what a fire is like until I turn it up a little higher. Can he do that? Can he do that? And Billy Graham went on to say, he says, God might work in your life through suffering to inspire others by your example in adversity. Ooh. Those who endure adversity can sympathize and identify with more effectively with others in their suffering. Whoa. You mean you can make us more sensitive to care for other people who are suffering, Lord? You mean you can change us to make us more useful to you? You mean you can make us more sensitive, Lord, so that we can be more caring for the family of God and for those who don't have Christ? You mean you can make us into lovers of people like you? You mean you can paint us? And make us an image of you? You mean you can change our lives and make us men and women of God? Is that what you can do? The father of all compassion. The God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our afflictions. Comforts us. In all our troubles. So that we can comfort others in trouble. Do we want to be used by God? Christians in here. Do you really want to be used by God? Do I really want to be used by God? Do I really want to be effective in my life as a Christian? Do I really want to? Honestly, ask the question. Do you really want to, honestly, be used in a mighty way? Honestly. Honestly, do you? Do I really? Then bring it on, Lord. Can we say that? Bring it on. Whatever you need to do, Lord, bring it on. Whatever you need to provide, Lord, bring it on. Because you're the author. You're the perfecter of my faith. You know me. You know my character. You know what kind of man I am. You know what kind of woman I am. You know my weaknesses, my strengths. Don't you? You know what I need, don't you, Lord? Can we say, because you're God and you know about me, everything about me, and you want to use me in a mighty way and you care for me, and you want to make me a man or a woman of God useful to the master, Can we say this morning, bring it on? As we kind of put our hand over our face. A little fear there, because I have a little fear saying that. But can we say it? Bring it on. Second point, because that was a long point. I think it was a very significant point, though. His faith is now evolving. Because chapter 2, and, and we don't know how much time between chapter 1 and chapter 2. I mean, it could be years. Because I tell you, this man went through a period where God talked to him. 
God revealed himself to him. God showed him through the agony and the pain who he really was. And he came to a decision in chapter 2 where it says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. And the living says, I will climb up on my watchtower and stand at my guard post. And there I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. I will stand firm, not knowing what to do and where to go and what's happening. And I will say, Lord, I'll wait to find out what you have to say to me. I don't know, but I'm going to stand. Matthew Henry says, I will look up. I will look around. I will look within and to watch to see what he will say unto me. I will listen attentively to the words of his mouth and carefully observe the steps of his providence that I may not lose the least hint of instruction or direction. I will watch to see what he will say in me, what the spirit of prophecy in me will dictate to me by way of answer to my complaints. And I read this quote, it says, waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means first activity under command. Second, readiness for any command that may come. Any command. And third, the ability to do nothing until the command is given. Waiting for God is not lazy. And we know the verses, be still and know that the Lord is there. I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer. Do, do, wait a minute. Do we really believe that? Let me read that again. I will wait for you, O Lord. You will answer. O Lord, my God. I will wait for you, O Lord, because you will answer. You are my God. I will sit back patiently and say, Lord, I have no clue what's going on, but I'll wait to find out what you have to say. I'll wait for your direction. I'll wait for you to give me instructions. I'll wait for you to tell me what you want me to do. Patiently. Joyfully expecting a wonderful answer from a wonderful God. And last point, which we need to get to, so because that's my wonderful, I love this last point. Because he evolved, his faith evolved, and God wants our faith to evolve, Christians. He wants our faith to grow. He wants our faith to transform. He wants our, tra- our faith to become mature. He wants our faith to become useful. He wants our faith to come, become powerful. He wants our faith to become effective. He wants our faith to become what he wants it to become so he can use us for his Glory. And if it's not that, it's worthless. Why even stay here if we don't have a faith that's useful to the master? What reason do I have to stay here if I'm not going to be benefiting the kingdom of God? What is the reason for my own benefit? To please me? To get what I want? I already did that. 
I already lived the I want life and get what I want and do what I want and be what I want life. I lived that and that was hopeless. It was nothing. It was pain and sorrow. And anybody today here, I want you to know, if you don't know the Lord, understand something very important. That this God we're talking about is a God for you, too. He's available for you today. He's looking for you, too, to give you hope. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you life. Life, a real life. The last point. Come what may, I will rejoice in my God. I love that. Come what may, bring it on. I'm going to rejoice in my God, the God of my salvation. The God that set me free. The God that gave me hope. The God that gave me a new life. I don't care what comes, Lord. And he got to a a level that is incredible. Because we didn't read it. But let's read it now. Because we didn't read the end of the story. Like, what is his name, Dean? Talks about the end of the story. Paul Harvey. Which is in verse 16 of chapter 3. He says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. He he said, you told me, Lord, what was going to happen. And I start seeing it and I started to tremble. I start falling apart because I'm thinking, what do you mean? I'm already in agony. I'm already asking you a question. I'm asking you why, Lord. What is going on? I can't take it anymore. And you told me. It's going to get worse. You think it's bad now. I'm turning up the fire. He says, my lips quivered. He was shaking so much. He was quivering. He was trembling. But he says, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. We can tremble. We can quiver. But can we add that verse to the end of that quivering? Yet. By the way, I'm quivering. Yet I'm going to put my trust in my God. Yet I'm going to cling to my Savior. Let I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. And... Isn't this a blessing, starting at 17? Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. I'm going to read it again. Though the fig tree does not bud, I have nothing. Though there are no grapes on the vine, my, my, my source of food, my source of sustenance is not there. There's nothing there. What do you do with a, a vine that produces no fruit? You tear it down. It's useless. Though the olive crop fails... The fields produce no fruit. Though there's no sheep in the pen, no meat, no fruit, no vegetables, 
No meat. Nothing. And I look at this man at that point and I say, you're my kind of man of God. You're the kind of man I want to be like. I want to have this level of faith. I want to have the faith that says, not the promise to something, because we can have that kind of faith if we're not careful. We can have the kind of faith that says, God's going to provide this for me in this lifetime, so I'm going to have faith in him. And that's not a bad faith. Don't get me wrong. We're talking about evolving in our faith and maturing in our faith. I believe this is the kind of faith that God wants us to eventually have. It should be our desire to have a kind of faith that if you take everything from me, if you remove it all, if you put me in a shack, if you take everything I have, everything that's important to me, you remove it all, you do it all, you even take me to the point where I die, I still will praise you. And that's what he says. Yet I will rejoice in the God, in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. It's not my strength alone. It's his strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to go onto the heights. Heights where? It might be the heights might be in heaven. We might not get a reprieve from the pain and suffering until heaven. Are we okay with that? Is that possible? It could happen. Things are getting so bad, it could happen. Where we actually have pain and suffering until we enter the gates. Can we say like Habakkuk, can we say that? Can we say that I don't care what comes. I will praise my God. I will love my God. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation because I know that one day I'll walk through the gates of heaven and my Lord will look at me and say, you know what? Well done. You fought the good fight of faith. You didn't crumble. You crumbled a little bit. You shivered. You quivered. But you didn't crumble. You kept the faith. You fought the good fight of faith. You shared the gospel. You showed the love of Christ. You lived a faithful life. You encouraged others to come to Christ. You showed them by living a life that was truly glorifying to me that you were living an example of me and people were drawn to Jesus because of you. What a life. What a choice. What a blessing. What a God. And he is deserving of this kind of response, isn't he? And if Bill was up here to say, I didn't hear you. Isn't he? He really is. We can misplace our faith, and we need to end in a couple minutes, but I just want to read a couple things. On April 30th, 1976, Evelyn Moores attached a, a rappling rope around a drain pipe grading on the roof of Mark Twain's South County Bank. Moores was an experienced climber who had once scaled 14,410-foot Mount Rainier in Washington State. The rappling exercise from the bank building would have been a routine event, but for one simple miscalculation, the drain pipe grading wasn't anchored. 
Numerous bank officials and their friends watched as Moore plummeted to her death. Her faith in the grading was fatally misplaced. And anybody here today who has a faith in something else other than the Lord Jesus Christ is like this woman who has it basically anchored to something that's going to fall. And there's a song my grandmother taught me. It's on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I want you to understand, Christians, that we have an obligation to live a life that honors our God. An obligation to rejoice. An obligation to be sure-footed. An obligation to live a life that truly glorifies the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. An obligation. Because we have a friend who's not a faithless friend. He's a friend we can count on. And the last story I'll read was a man appeared in the daily, appeared daily at noon hour at the Brooklyn City Hall holding to the rails and the iron fence with the hope an expectation on his face, looking up toward the clock and the tower as it struck each hour. Then he would wait 10, 20, 30 minutes. Then the light of hope and joy faded from his face. He became an old beaten man and shuffled off in dejection. It was the tragedy of a broken promise. He had been a man of affairs in the city, and in a time of financial difficulty, a friend had promised to meet him at City Hall and hang him or hand him a large sum of money. But the friend did not keep his promise. Disappointingly, he broke the man's heart and upset his reason. But every day after that, he came and looked wistfully at the clock, waiting for it to strike and looking in vain for the friend who promised he would come. But we have a friend who always keeps his promise. He is faithful, that promised. And he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's my promise. He says, cast your cares and your burdens, your pain, your suffering on me because I care for you. He said, that's my promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a promise. What a God. What a salvation. What a life. Do you have that kind of faith today? And anybody here who doesn't know him as Lord and Savior, we're going to give you an opportunity to have him because the same God that we've been talking about who loves us and cares for us and never leaves us is the same God who is available to you as well. So let's pray. And all eyes are closed and I pray that, you know, somebody here doesn't know him This God that I've been talking about today is a God that came and died on the cross for all. He came that all might have light and have life to the full. He came that all would be saved. He's not willing that anyone would be lost. 
So is there anyone here that wants to give their life to Christ? Just put your hand up and I'll pray for you. Simple. You want to be part of the family of God, part of the children of the king. Just put your hand up and I'll pray for you. And believers, what a great God we have. What an awesome Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this encouraging passage, Lord, on Habakkuk, Lord. And if all is taken away from us, can we have this man's faith? Lord, please give us each this man's faith. The faith that says, whatever comes, Lord, I will trust you. Whatever you bring, I will cling to you. Whatever you allow, I will be faithful to you. And I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. We love you. We love you. We adore you, Lord Jesus. And bring whatever you need to bring in each one of our lives to make us right with you and to make us useful to your kingdom. And we pray this all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.